93.3 and AM 560. That is a fact. KWTO. start of a new week means it's time to catch up on Missouri legislation with an update from Jefferson City. This is Mo Ledge Monday with Elisha Har Show contributor, State Representative Alex Riley. Alex, it's been a while since we've heard the music, but uh, we've got some news to talk about in Jeff City. Governor Parson issued not just his budget decisions um, recently, he also decided which bills he's going to sign and which singular bill he's going to veto. Uh, catch us up on the policy provisions okay. of what happened. Well, thank you for having me back. It has been a little while. So over the past couple of weeks, the governor took action on the remaining legislative items that had not yet been addressed. So about a week ago, he signed the state budget, which came in at a little over $51 billion. We've spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, vetoed a whole bunch of things uh about 500 million dollars worth of vetoes 201 line items um we can dive into that here in a minute and then he also signed the remaining bills that the house and senate passed earlier this session um and i think there were 31 of those so they covered a broader range of topics you had um some some somewhat high profile things dealing with deregulation, especially in the professional licensing space. So the idea was removing barriers for individuals to enter the workforce. And then once they're there to be able to um, do more in their chosen profession, some some good deregulation, some some good conservative government initiatives there and then uh, dealing, you know, running the gamut from the to all the way to you know conveying state property selling excess state property that the state doesn't need to have that there are people that want to purchase it and do other cool things with so a uh, host of things there i think the the he one veto one veto yes. of all the policy bills let's let's talk about that he That's vetoed right. one of the crime bills so he vetoed so there were two crime bill two big crime bills that passed there was one that i carried that that he did sign and then there was one that he vetoed that was Senate Bill 189, and it had a whole bunch of provisions in there. But um, the problem for him that he didn't like is it had some fairly broad expungement provisions, and he had concerns that it would um, potentially allow people who are on the sex offender registry a kind of backdoor way to get off of that. Um, I'm always curious when the governor vetoes something, they, they hand down their letter, is it something that was discussed in the legislature? Was was this expungement? Was anybody concerned about it prior to the veto? Not that I heard. Um, so if if the governor's office did raise concerns, they didn't raise it to to me certainly. Um, and I know that when, especially that last week of session, when we were trying to put together packages of bills, we were trying to work closely together with the governor's office, with the Senate, to just pass things that had a had a path to make it all the way into uh, into law so getting both senate approval and governor's signature and and this was not something that was ever flagged during that process so um a little bit frustrating that this one received a veto because there were some pretty important other public safety provisions in there and and i know this is an issue that's of broad concern here in springfield and all around the state 
Um, so un- unfortunate that that was uh, the one bill that was vetoed was one of the big public safety bills because there were some really important things that we needed to get done. Yeah, what's uh, I know that the, the legislature is generally loath to override vetoes of a Republican governor. Has there been any conversations about whether or not this would be something that's taken up at veto session? I would be pretty surprised if that particular bill was taken up. I do think that the governor has, in my opinion, has some valid concerns with that particular provision. Um, my, my, my biggest frustration is not so much that he vetoed it, just that there wasn't really an opportunity for us to try and fix that during the legislative process. Um, but the good thing is a lot of the other provisions that were in that bill, a lot of the good things that were in there also made it to the governor's desk in the other public safety bill that I carried through the House. So that minimized um, some of the, the, the problems that resulted from that veto. Um, there probably is an appetite, though, to override some budget veto. So let's dive into that. Now. Before we dive into that, one one other question, and I, this is just straight up speculation conjecture. Governor had another month to make decisions on the policy items. He signed and vetoed the policy items pretty early. What's the reason? Any ideas? Hard to say. Um, I, I mean, usually governors wait till the very last day to make all their final decisions. Yeah, they, they do, and they typically have a lot of pomp and circumstance that goes along with the signings as well. And we did not see that this year. Um, kind of bizarrely, we and we reps and senators just received a email notification um, at the end of last week that, hey, the governor just signed the remaining 31 bills and vetoed the one. And that was really all that we uh, we heard. So it was kind of a strange process. Typically, what happens is if you're a bill sponsor and you your bill is set to be signed by the governor, the governor's office will reach out and let you know that there's going to be a bill signing and you can have an opportunity to be there and have interested parties there, too. Um, and that wasn't the case. So I, I could speculate about why they went through that process. Please but, do. Uh, cause I am curious. <laughs> like it, it was unusual. It was, it, they signed everything early. No reps there for the, the picture of the bill signings. I'd heard some rumors that the governor was getting ready to do some traveling and that he may not be back in time to get all these things wrapped up. But I, I was surprised by it. Yeah. I, I, it is very surprising and I don't fully know the reasons, but they're, it's no secret that there is quite a bit of tension right now between the legislators and the governor's office. And it wouldn't surprise me if the way the bills were signed in some form or fashion relates to some of that tension. Okay, let's jump into the uh, the budget vetoes. Okay, so 201 line item vetoes, 500 million uh, bottom line number, give or take a little bit. And it's not terribly unusual to have the governor line item veto certain things that's i think an important feature that our governor has that to be honest i wish the the president and some of the other executive branch people would have the ability to line item veto i think that is an important safeguard to the process helps make sure that um for example not too many uh just pork barrel type of spending projects are passed and and make it into the budget. So um I think that's that's a good thing that the governor has that power. I don't I don't have any problems with that. What was somewhat bizarre with the the way that this year's budget happened and and the way the vetoes came down is the particular projects that were vetoed. There were 
uh, a lot of things that we legislators put in the in the budget dealing with infrastructure as well as um, public safety. So we we put put in there a number of projects for um, for crime prevention and law enforcement. There are a lot of uh, law enforcement agencies around the state that needed uh, facilities and equipment and things like that. And and the we in the House and Senate stepped up to provide for those needs. Uh, unfortunately, a, a large number of the things that were vetoed were law enforcement and public safety related, which is a little bit um, baffling to say the least. And then some of the other frustrating things that we worked hard on, especially our Springfield delegation, is we tried to make some um, improvements for our local infrastructure, I-44 in particular, as everyone whoever drives that through Springfield knows it's, it's really a mess. I try and avoid it whenever I can, to be honest. Um, so one of our state reps from green County, uh, Bill Owen did a great job putting, um, some money in the budget to help, um, add some additional lanes and capacity to I-44 going through Springfield. Um, I think it was 20 million or something like that, which is a big number, but also, um, a, a much needed, investment in our Springfield area. And that was one of the items that got vetoed. And then there's just a whole bunch of others that are in that same vein. Um, but that was, that was frustrating. There, there's certainly, you know, your, your bridges to nowhere and things like that, that the governor should be vetoing. Um, but that wasn't exactly what we saw happen with this particular budget. Uh, tell us a little bit, you know, the last few years, the House has routinely taken up and, and passed some of the budget veto overrides. Senate's always been loath to do so. Yep. What's the, what's the, what's the guess this year? What's the speculation? You guys going to do it or not? Uh, I, I believe that we in the House will try and override a number of things. I don't know yet what the Senate will do. I have heard more interest out of the Senate this year than I've heard in any of my prior years in the House. They are incredibly frustrated with um, for certainly the number of line item vetoes, 201 is a lot. Um, but also, um, the nature of the vetoes again with infrastructure, public safety, those are things that I think all of us on the conservative side of the spectrum would agree that government should be spending money on. Um, but those were the things that were vetoed. Yeah. It's, it's- uh, again, kind of like we were talking about with the policy items, not a lot of, it didn't sound like a lot of communication with the legislature in advance. Um, th- there had been some people discussing, oh, there might be more vetoes this year than usual. But I think a lot of people were surprised at, at more the nature of the vetoes, as you mentioned. You know, the, the, the I-44 project was a big deal. That's, that's something. And, and I, I, you know, I've been pretty open about the fact that I feel like we overspent on I-70. Is it important? Sure is spending $3 billion on it or whatever the final number was, which on a highway that touches the three most liberal areas in the state when 44 and 57 and in 65 and all these other roads, 36, they don't get touched. I was, I was bothered by it. Yeah. And, and, uh, and talking to a lot of my legislative colleagues, a lot of them felt there was sort of a bait and switch because a lot of people voted for that I-70 project, plugging their nose because you know, they, they're not on I-70. They don't travel I-70. It doesn't affect them. It doesn't affect their constituents. They understand that, you know, there's some, some statewide impact and it's, it's good to fix I-70, but they also wanted at least something for their district, something for their constituents that benefit their constituents. So the idea 
was, okay, if we're going to go ahead and put this money into I-70, then we're going to take care of some of the infrastructure projects around the rest of the state, too. And um, while the the legislature did that, the House and Senate negotiated in good faith with each other to to take care of that. Um, Unfortunately, the executive branch had other ideas. All right. Switching gears a little bit. One race that people rarely pay attention to or don't know about is some of the internal um, races for leadership in the Republican Party. You announced that you're running for a leadership spot in the um, Republican House. Tell us about that. That's right. So I am running for majority floor leader, which is the second most powerful position in the Missouri House of Representatives. So that is the person that basically directs the flow of the debate on the House floor. He's the person that is in charge of or responsible really for bringing up which bills uh, are going to be debated. So basically no bill gets to come to the House floor and be debated and and potentially passed out without the majority leader's uh, approval to some extent. So um, that's something that I've been looking at for a little while and, and received a lot of encouragement from my colleagues to uh, to throw my hat in the ring. So I, I have done that. The race is well underway and going well. Um, interestingly, Springfield hasn't had a majority leader for over a century. We've had one, um, and it was at the during the late 1800s or early 1900s. That is fascinating because, and you know, not to not to belabor my my own success i was the first speaker in springfield history but i i took a sort of a different path that's normal in the house usually you become floor leader and then speaker i became pro tem and then speaker um so you're right i hadn't thought about that we we from springfield have not had a majority floor leader in in quite some time yep that's right so that uh if if all goes well that would be a pretty cool thing for springfield to have a, a majority leader when does uh when does the vote take place so the actual election will take place the day after the general election in 2024 so the the process for running for floor leader is quite a bit different from a a regular election and basically what you're what you're doing is you're you're getting to know each of the other, you know, we have 111 um, Republican state reps right now. So you're getting to know each of those individuals, getting to know each of their districts. And um, first of all, trying to learn about them and what they care about and what they want to accomplish in their times in office. And then also um, sharing with them what you uh, envision happening in the House in your next two years and what you hope to accomplish together as a Republican caucus. So one of the things that I've been focused on and one of the things that I'm especially concerned about right now in uh the in in Missouri is the fact that we have supermajorities in the House and Senate, we control as Republicans every statewide office, yet it seems like we are accomplishing less and less every session. I know, for example, when you were in the House, you had a Democrat governor for a little while and and despite that you have you have an incredibly long list of accomplishments, extremely good conservative things that all of us um, support and are excited about. Yet, since we've had both a Republican governor and Republican supermajorities, it seems like we're accomplishing fewer and fewer of those big conservative type of things. We're spending a lot of money. We're doing some good things around the margins, but we haven't been able to get some of those big transformational type of things done that um that i think our constituents demand of us so i'm talking about things like you know education reform additional tax reform 
um, thing, things of that nature. When we have states around us that are getting all these big ticket things done and we're not keeping up with, for example, your, your Arkansas and Iowa's of the world, that, that's a problem. I don't want to ever live in a, in a, in a state that falls below Arkansas in any sort of ranking. <laughs> so, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us in the next couple of years with a new governor coming in, with some new senators coming in to uh, really get some big ticket things done if we have the right people in place. Yeah, yeah. And it's okay, so the votes 2024, fall of 2024, the position would be, uh, if you were elected to it, serve there in um, the 2025 and 2026 legislatures. Yeah. My gosh, 25 and 26, I feel like... It seems like a long. Everything's happening. It seems like it's a long way far, away. far away. But it's it's really not. It's it's around the corner, and these races take a long time too, as as you know from your time running these things. I do. All right, as we do every day, we finish up with two questions. First is our question of the day. Question of the day today: What was your least favorite or toughest class in school? Oh, that's an easy one. I hated algebra in high school. Algebra. It was awful. So I was homeschooled, kindergarten all the way through high school. Mom did an amazing job with me and my siblings. Algebra was a challenge for all of us. So ninth grade, algebra was absolutely brutal. Just for our listeners, <laughs> you went to college, you went to law school, and yet ninth grade algebra was worse than any of those classes? Oh, by far. <laughs> by far. I would go through law school again just to avoid ha- doing uh, algebra amazing. again. Amazing. It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> Finally, if anybody wants to follow along with the work that you're doing in the General Assembly, how do they follow you on social media? I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at Alex Riley MO. And then while we're in session, if anyone ever wants to receive weekly email updates on all the happenings in Jeff City, they can sign up on the Missouri House of Representatives website on my little profile page. You're not there. on the threads, are you? I'm not on the threads. Well, that makes three of us in this room. Alice Riley, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to be back. We'll answer the question today. Don't forget, coming up at 520, we're going to have the local leader of Moms for Liberty on the show. You want to stick around for that interview. Man learns who's there for him when the glitter fades and the walls won't hold. Cause from then rubble, what remains?